Welcome into 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts with my guy, Mike Renner, on today's episode, the Monday episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. We're going to look at a handful of storylines in the NFL, college football, Tua Vailoa, benched by Brian Flores, not due to injury, but due to performance. Obviously, you have to talk about Joe Burrow, the state of the Cincinnati Bengals, officially tore his ACL and MCL, I believe, that just came out. Also going to have a little discussion about the best second-year receiver in the NFL. I mean, A.J. Brown is lighting it up. Terry McLaurin continues to impress. D.K. Metcalf. Someone needs to have that conversation. It's going to be us. And then we're going to get into our usual suspects here, our usual segments. Rolling Rooks, top performing rookies from the week. Raise a glass, top performing prospects from the week. And then our blackout segment, the worst performing rookies and prospects this past week. Let's get it. Renner, we're back in studio, ready to rip it up on two for one drafts. Coming off of, I had a pretty rough weekend. Mm. My weekend did not go as planned. Uh, I had a really bad Friday night, Saturday combination. However, what happened Friday night? I didn't hear this part. It's a bad story that we can't even bring up. Oh. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's another you know single in Cincinnati story, and it just never goes well. I, I, I can't, I can't buy a bucket over here. But I knew Saturday went poorly when I get a text from George around nine p.m. asking if I've seen you. Yeah. So because. I ended up passing out at like five. So, But before that, the highlight of my weekend was cheering on our Indiana Hoosiers plus 21 mm-hmm. against Ohio State in a, in a place full of Ohio State fans. Everyone was just like against Indiana. And I just kept saying, I don't care if the Hoosiers lose. Yeah. I just need them to cover this number because I got next month's rent on plus 21. Yeah, I told my buddy who's an Ohio State fan, I said, I will cheer for Indiana every score. I will not cheer for any go-ahead score. I will cheer for every score up until they get tied. Exactly. And I did, and that worked out perfectly for us. Absolutely. The plus 21 cover. We're going to get into some green line picks on the Wednesday episode. Make sure you I encourage you guys to rate, like, subscribe to the podcast, tune into every episode. We do two episodes a week during the season. We usually jump out to three episodes per week when it gets into that Senior Bowl Combine era. Uh, a lot of good stuff on the yeah. two-for-one drafts podcast. Uh, let's get into these headlines, man. Tua Tungvaluwa. Benched by Brian Flores. Everyone said he's hurt. Hopefully it's not bad. The, the, the video looked terrible. Like, I thought his ankle was kind of torched a little bit. But Brian Flores, very quickly after the game, says he was not benched due to injury. He was healthy. He was benched due to performance. Took six sacks in this game. Didn't look good whatsoever. You dropped a take on Twitter. Complete in disagreement with this benching. Talk to me about it. Yeah. Uh, they had the convenient excuse, too. They could have been, like, tweaked his ankle a little bit. We just felt... Like, we wanted him to be healthy, whatever. Like, that was an easy... You could have avoided all this. But I think anytime you bench a rookie quarterback for performance, you, you, people get uneasy about that. And, and there's a reaction, whether it's through the locker room or whether it's Tua Tungvaluwa himself, that can go a lot of different ways. Now, I'm not worried about Tua's confidence whatsoever. I'm not worried about him bouncing back or this affecting him long-term and his psyche, all that whatever BS. He's a very self... you, you know. Uh, self-starter sort of guy like he's going to work his butt off this is going to only motivate him more but I think it was valuable experience that he missed out on in a road game where things weren't going great for him through the first you know half of play he missed out on that opportunity to redeem himself and gain even more confidence if he did come back for that victory if they did end up winning that game you bring in you know Ryan Fitzpatrick you know what he is he ends up getting what one field goal drive throwing a pick they still lose the game 
I know why. I think I know why they did it. I think Brian Flores was never the one who made the switch to Tua Tagovailoa in the first place. I think it was came from the top down, saying this is our top five pick. He's healthy. He should be starting. But it kind of just, if you were going to start Tua Tagovailoa in the first place, you were not supposed to. It was not a short term move. So then making it a short term move by benching him in a crucial game that you need to win if you're going to make the playoffs. To me. I just don't get the sort of rationale behind it, if there is any. Tungvaloa finished the game with a 51.9 PFF grade and a 48.5 PFF passing grade. What is your opinion of how Brian Flores is, or not Brian Flores, but some people are skewing this as in he's going to get buy-in from his players because of this. Because Brian Flores does not care where you were drafted, your pedigree, whatever. If you're playing poorly, you're going to get benched. doesn't matter your position. That is what I'm seeing. That is some narratives I'm seeing, a story I'm seeing. How do you feel about that spin on the Brian Flores benching of Tua Tungvaloa? Then it didn't, like... That's not good spin because it didn't make sense in the first place. You didn't you bench Brian Fitzpatrick. You know? True. That's a good like, take. <laughs> like it didn't that wasn't the reason for the move in the first place. So like that's sending mixed messages then at that point that uh if you're in that locker room, like I could see you being upset in that locker room too is not playing great, like whatever, go to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um but I I just think that that is not the way to handle it. I don't know who tweeted it. Someone said, you know, this is how Brian Flores is going to get buy-in from his players. He benches people regardless of what they're doing. Dude, you bench Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was more than exceeding expectations. Winning games. For yeah. the winning games was 3-3 three and three when he was benched. A blackout that didn't make our official blackout segment, but I'll bring him up now because we're talking about the game. Rookie Austin Jackson. 29.4 PFF grade in this one. Nine total pressures allowed. I think it was 11 pressures allowed on first review. He did not look good in this game. Has struggled a little bit this season. We talked about that start cutoff, and it was the reason why at the tackle position this past year's draft and the reason why uh, Jason Lick, the Bucks GM, keep wanting to trade up because mm-hmm. after that top group, you weren't going to find another guy who was going to be able to step in and start right away, we thought. And I think that's kind of – not kind of been the case. That has been the case at the tackle position. Like They, they missed the boat on this tackle class by getting Austin Jackson at 18 – compared to what the Bucks got in Tristan Wirfs at 13 night and day, mm-hmm. like in terms of the quality. Of I mean, Tristan Wirfs is our, like, one of the best players in this class, let alone yeah. the best tackle. Um, got to jump to this news. The entire city of Cincinnati is in tears, in mourning, with Joe Burrow obviously going down with a significant knee injury. I think it's confirmed that he tore his ACL and MCL in his left knee. Producer Mike Quinn, obviously in tears. It's been a rough one. He was tweeting out some slander saying they're going to tank for Trevor Lawrence now. Already ready ready to give up on I'm, Joe I'm Burrow. past that. I'm past that. I beca- <laughs> that was reactionary. That was a, that was an overreaction. <laughs> that that was an overreaction, but that was before that so I said that when the announcers, I can't remember if it was Adam Archuleta or Sparrow Didis was like we're not going to show the replay. It is Alex Smith-esque. And, oh wow. And when I I mean I don't it, that wasn't like verbatim but i mean it was pretty damn close and so at that point i'm like oh well his his legs probably off <laughs> and like we need they you got to get a new quarterback now but that's that's not the case so we're we're recording it like it's like 220 right now so i mean i guess more news could come in regarding his injury but like like you said as of right now it's just it's torn acl mcl which is not insignificant but i mean he can rally yeah you can yeah. bounce back from that it, it was it was like i think it was one of those just like a classic I would say classic it's not making it sound pretty insignificant but like a hang his knee was just hanging there mm-hmm. for like the the enough ligaments were torn that he didn't completely dislocate his knee but the lower leg was hanging compared to God. the upper leg that is graphic. Uh, which was not good <laughs> but at the same time like he, uh, it wasn't like the zach miller zach miller yeah 
for the complete knee dislocation where you're actually in danger. I think it was just if uh, uh, the ACL, MCL, if you tear both those, that knee is hanging at that point. So close the book on Joe Burrow's rookie season for me. So Throw the injury out the window. It was a top 10 graded all-time PFF, so from 2006 to here, a top 10 passing grade behind in a situation where you would not expect to earn a high passing grade. Like, like it was, I don't want to say as advertised, like it was nowhere near the guy we saw at LSU. He had issues with his deep ball. We thought that would be better than it was as a rookie. But I think if you're a Bengals fan after, you know, obviously he's coming back next year, that it's this year, put a wrap, put a bow on it. You can't, you have to be ecstatic about where this franchise can go with him at the helm. Now, they have a lot of needs, and it was completely inexcusable for them to ignore the offensive line, and they're paying for it now with what happened to Joe Burrow, to ignore the offensive line the way they did and get him killed as much as he did his rookie season. But if, and if they don't address that you know, this upcoming spring, that's, you have a right to be very upset as a Bengals fan, and he has a right to be very upset as their quarterback. But I, I think you're still in very good hands even after this injury. My take here, and I've been talking to a lot of Cincinnati Bengals fans, including Mike Quinn, about how they address the offensive line. And they're looking at Panay Sewell. They're looking at these, this offensive tackle class. They're trying to add guys there. Buddy, take after what the Buffalo Bills did yes. with Josh Allen. And just they threw the kitchen sink at the offensive line in free agency, adding John Feliciano, a backup in, in Oakland, but has now come in and been a starter for them, among other, like Deion Dawkins, some other guys that they just brought in in free agency and have now had success with. No, they don't have a great offensive line. It's not an elite offensive line. Mitch Morse was another guy they signed, but they brought in veterans. And veterans at offensive line are oftentimes, even if they aren't you know, perennial all pros, going to have better production for you early in their signing than they are if you're drafting guys in the top 50, top 100 in April's draft. I think that's where the Bengals need to go. And I'm telling you right now, it's not Bobby Hart. <laughs> it's a different guy. Jonah Williams looks like he can be a stable piece along the offensive line. But yeah. outside of him, the interior offensive line yes. at both guard positions needs help. The right tackle position needs help. Go to free agency. And I'm not saying sign every top name in free agency that's along the offensive line, but try and get some bodies veteran bodies to play guard and tackle for you in 2021 to keep Joe Burrow upright and give this guy an opportunity to actually win some football games here in Queen City. And that's the thing. You cannot be throwing out Billy Price, 26.7 pass blocking grade. Michael Jordan, 44.2 pass blocking grade. Alex Redman, 45.0 pass blocking grade. You cannot be a complete liability to where that's in Joe Burrow's head now, and you worry about that, you know, after a serious injury like that. Maybe not necessarily with Joe Burrow and how mm-hmm. confident he is, but you just worry about ruining uh, with that what level of pressure that he faced. That being in the back of his mind every single time he plays. So you have to multiple positions address it. It's not just one guy. It's not one elite talent. You know, one big money free agent. It's like you said, the Bills approach. Sign as many, sign three or four veterans, sign three or four guys proven that you know are better than Billy Price right mm-hmm. now. And so you're not throwing out the Billy Price. Which is not that hard. It's not, it's not insane. You're not going to have to throw a ton of money at these yeah. guys. Like bringing in veteran pieces that can start along your offensive line is not going to require you to break the bank. Where you break the bank from a draft resource and, dra- and um, a cap space resource is on premium positions, cornerback, outside receiver, trying to add a, a pass rusher if possible. I think that's where the Cincinnati Bengals focus should be in April's draft. If they are drafting in a position as well where maybe they're drafting second, third overall, look to trade back. 
because there's going to be teams wanting to jump up for one of these quarterbacks. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, trade back, allocate more picks. Mm -hmm. This is a roster that is multiple pieces away, potentially multiple years away from being truly competitive. You're not in a position to stay put while every other team is drafting quarterbacks and you want to draft a different position. Yeah, so right now as it stands, they're 2-7-1. Chances of them winning another game very slim. They're pretty much... Finally isn't good. Yeah, they look locked in to the third overall pick, I would say, at least a top five pick. I think even so even if you're third right now with how big that need is along offensive line and how good one Oregon offensive tackle Penny Sewell is, I, I think if someone you would have to be made a pretty big trade offer for that third overall pick if someone wants to come up and get like a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields, whoever is there, you would have to get a pretty big offer for me to pass up on Penny Sewell because you're not getting a talent like Penny Sewell at six. You, you know, like you can get a very good player. But this guy will anchor like this will be a franchise changing type of left tackle that can you can have with Joe Burrow his entire career, basically, that I think they're almost locked into Penny Sewell at this point. All right, let's jump to best second year wide receiver in the NFL. I I wanted to have the conversation be A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, and our guy from Toledo, Deontay Johnson. But he's not in that same tier. He's not that true number one. And even though he's gotten that target share. And that's no knock on Deontay Johnson. Yes. If anything, it's praise. It's praise to this receiving class that there are three, or the 2019 receiving class, that there are three legit talents at the position that are dominating for their respective teams. Where are you ranking these three receivers, Mike? A.J. Brown. DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. And also, before you do so, remind us where you had these three ranked pre-draft in 2019. So pre-draft, it was super close, and it was DK 1, A.J. Brown 2, and then obviously a big gap. Terry McLaurin was like 11th on our receiver or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. but Ahead of Paris Campbell. Can ahead we, of Paris Campbell. Let's call that. We ahead need of to Paris call Campbell, that. and I believe he was in the range on our draft board of where uh, he was ahead of where he ended up getting ultimately drafted. Not saying we're right because he's fucking <laughs> way better than that, but but that's what you do as a draft analyst. Mm-hmm. You have to tout your little wins like oh, that. absolutely. I mean, like, or else why do I even do this? Um, right now, I will flip one and two how I had them originally, and then Terry McLaurin's still three. I think AJ Brown is the guy I would take out of any of these guys. That touchdown he had, the game winner. Let's talk about it. Absurd, <laughs> like that. I, I'm not sure another wide receiver in the NFL makes that play like that. It just takes a physical specimen with his level of balance and after the catchability to create that. He has 14 broken tackles already more than DK, more than Terry McLaurin this year, even though he's had 36 catches, 14 broken tackles, the 36 catches is a ridiculous rate. Uh, obviously has had his injuries only played eight games so far this season, but I will take him first. He's a complete receiver, can win anywhere, and like I said, maybe the best wide receiver after the catch in the NFL right now. Uh, DK Metcalf, too, just because he is the premier deep threat along with Tyreek Hill in the NFL right now. You just can't single cover him. If you're going to, you're going to pay, and you're going to pay a big price. And then Terry McLaurin is like no slouch as the number three here. Like that, There's no well, – obviously Washington fans are going to hate us, and they love to pimp out Terry McLaurin as this – incredible receiver and he is that's just saying how good all three of these guys Mm -hmm. are and that's why i said i'm not putting deontay johnson in this category even though you know 537 yards 49 catches this year he's been good when on the field he's still not in this category because these are three absolute studs at the receiver position in a wide receiver class that people did not think had that and these were not the first or second receivers off the board in that draft class 
which is kind yeah, of Marquise Brown is not getting mentioned here. You know, yeah. there's, there's some other guys in this class that are not getting mentioned. Nikhil I think Harry how, is he in this? Nikhil Harry is not getting mentioned here. Unfortunately, I think how I'd have it. And I'm surprised that you'd have AJ Brown as your number one guy. I remember writing a story for the athletic with the, with the partnership we had between PFF and the athletic about AJ Brown and how good he was after the catch at Ole Miss. And I think this take has been beaten like a dead horse, but people forget how much of a hoss A.J. Brown is because he played at the same school of D.K. Metcalf, who's literally built like a school bus. But like A.J. Brown, you see him lining up. Go back and watch his targets against that Baltimore Ravens defense. Marlon Humphrey looks like a shrimp compared to A.J. Brown. And he he shadowed him a handful of routes, and he's being physical and throwing him off. There's a couple OPIs that weren't called. But like A.J. Brown is this physical specimen that can win anywhere because not only is this legitimate athlete and can win after the catch, but like very physical at the stem. I thought that catch and touchdown – was one of the better plays of the weekend, and we had a handful that we're going to talk about today. How I'd order him. He ran a four four nine at two hundred twenty six pounds. That's absurd. Yeah, like if he were like that's linebacker size in the <laughs> NFL today, and he ran a four four nine, and then had a seven second three cone. Like that guy is a freak of nature in his own right, and just Agreed. did not get the love. Yeah, how I'd rank them: DK Metcalf one, Ooh. AJ Brown two, and Terry McLaurin three. And it pains me to put Terry McLaurin three because I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Terry McLaurin. I love his game, but from a from what A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf can do to threaten the defense, I don't think it's comparable to what Terry McLaurin could do. Terry McLaurin wins consistently. D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown are in your dude's nightmares, bro. Like, the defensive coordinators are struggling to sleep knowing they have to go against Brown and Metcalf. While McLaurin is a consistent threat, a true number one. And I'll say this, and we talked about this before the podcast. I take all three ahead of the receivers drafted in 2020. That's how good this 2019 class was. I agree. And... That's so again, that's a real knock on the 2020 guys. Like there are some guys who look really good right off the bat, but Justin uh, Jefferson, Ceedee Lamb, Chase Claypool, but still, these three guys are like legit the future yeah. at the position. I just think 2019 kind of got slept on coming out, and and if you want to order these guys, there's no real wrong order at this point because it also them. depends what you want at the receiver exactly. Position. Yeah, it's what you value and how you're going to use them. Like, if you're going to use A.J. Brown like you'd use D.K. Metcalf, that's mishandling. I'm like, A.J. Brown would not be as good in Seattle's offense as D.K. Metcalf would be. And I don't think D.K. Metcalf would be as good in as Washington's offense as Terry McLaurin is. Like, there's that kind of, mm-hmm. it is what you're going to ask them to do that still matters. Yeah. All right, staying in the NFL, we're going to do our Rolling Rook segment now. Look at some of the top-performing rookies in the NFL, starting with our guy. My goodness, my computer exploding. Starting with... um. Our guy here, Justin Herbert, who I get questions about Justin Herbert every single day, I feel like. I, I mean, we're, we do what? Do like 10, 15 radio hits a week. Mm-hmm. Every single time I'm on the radio, they're asking about Justin Herbert. How's he playing? All this stuff. I'll lead with this. The three highest graded quarterbacks under pressure so far this year. Number one, Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Number two, Justin Herbert. Number three, Russell Wilson. What this guy is doing under pressure is absolutely absurd. He's also a top 10 graded passer throwing 20 plus yards downfield. He's a top five graded passer on third downs. These are admittedly volatile parts of PFF's grading stuff mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily stable year over year, but it is what makes the highlight reels. And when you see how he's doing it with his arm talent, with his ability to extend plays, I mean, I'm starting to get interested to quote the wedding crashers. Are you starting to get interested? Like Justin Herbert looks very much legit. I think the biggest thing that's surprising and those all those like you said those can be variable performance under pressure like he'll probably take a step back it's probably not going to be completely what he is next season but I think the the thing that's surprised me the most and he's not pinpoint accurate like he's not he has not transformed that part of his game he'll still have some misses on some throws said he doesn't 
he hasn't been turning the ball over. Like he hasn't been making ugly decisions with the football when he has a favorable opportunity with a one-on-one with a guy like Keenan Allen or a guy like Mike Williams, he gives them a shot when he doesn't, he's not forcing it into double coverage to those guys though. Like he's not mm-hmm. making, uh, just like I said, bad decisions with the football, only eight turnover worthy plays all season long. That's just a different guy than we even saw at Oregon from a decision-making standpoint. So, uh, yeah, he, he was uh, going up against the Jets this past week, but still he buried them in a pretty big way. So what do you think the biggest difference is for him? Do you, are you putting blame on Oregon? Are you putting blame? No crowd on... noise. <laughs> but because yeah. I, I, I don't think there's anyone you, you could meet anyone who really liked Justin Herbert. You know, Jim Nagy is a big fan of Justin Herbert who invited him to the senior bowl, but I don't think anyone saw this. I don't think anyone saw him mm-hmm. entering the NFL, and I think right now he's one of the favorites to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. People, you know, Chargers yes. fans are absolutely elated at this guy being in Los Angeles right now, and they hate the take, by the way, that when we bring up Justin Herbert isn't consistent throwing the football from an accuracy perspective. They hate it. They're like, oh, man, just, you guys always bring that up. doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. You can be as inconsistent as Herbert is from an accuracy perspective and still be a very, very good quarterback in the NFL. You don't have to be Drew Brees, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers to be great in the NFL. You can be this high-end quarterback if you have the high-end in your game. And I think this arm talent's not going away. This, this, this scrambling ability, this athleticism yeah. is here to stay so much that, that I'm willing to even bite that bullet a little bit with Justin Herbert. And like Patrick Mahomes is not the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. He's not even close. Like mm-hmm. There are probably a handful of guys you take from Absolutely. a pure accuracy perspective over Patrick Mahomes. There's a lot that goes in the quarterback position to make it special. And I think the biggest thing that Herbert does, that Mahomes does, and that is the way the NFL game is going is just the ability to expand the football field with that arm strength. Mm-hmm. Like any part of the field from zero to 50 yards past the line of scrimmage is fair game for him. And in a blink of an eye, he threw that ball, the, the deep ball against <laughs> yeah. the Jets, like 60 yards in the air. And it, it never left the TV copy of the screen because it didn't go that high. Like he was throwing late. He could throw lasers up to that far down the football field. And that just, defenses can't just say you know if this guy's you know let him let him have that corner out against cover two because they're not going to hit that hole no justin herbert's going to hit that hole because he has that level of arm talent the turkey hole the turkey hole it's thanksgiving week the turkey hole (laughs) all right we got to roll here we're getting excited talking about justin herbert we have other rookies we want to mention here raekwon davis defensive tackle for the miami dolphins has consistently graded well so far this year specifically against the run drafted i think what 56th overall for the miami dolphins Playing well of late, what's been your opinion of Davis? He's not a pass rusher. He's never going to be much of a pass rusher. He wasn't even at Alabama. But the best two-gapping, like he looks better than Derek Brown's, a pure two-gapping nose tackler, defensive tackle, right out the gate. He's freak of nature, 6'6", like 35-inch arms. Uh, that is what he is. He went to a scheme that's going to ask him to do that. And a little bit of a sort of caveat in this one. He's going up against Lloyd Cushenberry, everyone's own Lloyd Cushenberry for the Denver Broncos. He's had Broncos. a bad year. Very bad year, but he still made a ton of plays in the run game. They ran those, you know, those bare fronts where he's got a lot of one-on-ones against Lloyd Cushenberry, and he just stood him up every single time. Mm-hmm. And th- that's what you—that's what you want out of a, like I said, a two-gapping nose tackle is a guy who can control and then shed and make plays. That's what Raycon Davis looks like. And now we ha- we're low on him because again, he's not going to be a pass rusher. He hasn't even been that this year. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be. He doesn't even have any pass rushing moves really, but. For what they asked him to do, I think he's a good fit. I think we, I mean, Steve Palazzolo brings it up talking about drafting these run stuffing interior defensive linemen, not necessarily at 56 overall, but mm-hmm. finding them on day, late day two, early day three, and getting positive Roy, returns. Baby. And I think exactly what, what I'd be looking for when I'm starting to look for that position is 
went mm-hmm. round three, round four. Let's find a guy that can two gap that can legit play the run. He doesn't have to be a pass rusher. I'm not going to ask Don't him to, be, yeah. but just have him play the run. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Derek Brown. I have a clip hitting Twitter when the all 22 is officially released by the NFL. Derek Brown puts Jonah Jackson in an absolute blender on one of these spin moves from the big boy. It is, it is an awesome, awesome pass rushing rep from Derek Brown. He didn't finish with a high, highly graded game. Had a, that was one of his better plays in that game, but it's an insane move from Derek Brown in that game. I don't know if you saw it yet. Um, Shall we jump to Isaiah Simmons? The yes. Coming out party on Thursday. A lot of people are excited about him after. You gotta stop saying coming out party, all right? That's not Is that not a good that's not a good phrase? Not it's twenty twenty. All right. That's fair. Okay. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. No, but Isaiah Simmons, you said you call it his coming out party. He had been good the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. He had he got clowned because one, he wasn't starting, and two, he looked like ass week one. He hasn't looked like ass since that. Like mm-hmm. he has been legit making plays in games, the Dallas game, you know, week six. He was actually uh he had the was the pick in that game. The, that was like a game ender. The and then this past week against Seattle, you see the speed. Like on a sweet play, he tracks down the running back from behind. That linebackers can't. Not a lot of linebackers can do that in the NFL. You see a speed playing. You saw him track down you know, Russell Wilson in space. You saw him track down Tyler Lockett in space. That plays in today's NFL and the ability to cover ground. He's looked good. Like I said, he's 32 snaps, uh, 32 snaps and 45 snaps over the past three weeks. He's getting some real run there and has played really well this past week. Uh, five stops on the day. I, I think Isaiah Simmons now he's not perfect. There's still some linebacker things like reading skis are still hit and miss between the tackles, but you just you can't coach those physical tools. And he looks pretty damn good there of late. Yeah, four total pressures over the past what three games, which is also impressive. They have they're using him well. He's getting his feet wet. Uh, let's talk Jonathan Taylor. You talked about you know a couple weeks ago or maybe a couple episodes ago how you know you should be concerned he's not looking well. This was yeah. a very good game for Jonathan Taylor. I thought he was the most confident he's been all season, and when he's running confident as he was, uh, he started to play a lot better football. That's the thing. He just needs to crank it up. You still had some plays where he ran to the ass of his own lineman like he still is not good out of the shotgun whatsoever as a running back but he was decisive far more decisive in this game some of that's green bay's you know pretty poor run defense but some of that's also like he had holes before in weeks past and was still not cranking it up to full speed four broken tackles in this one on 22 carries 90 yards i I thought this was the kind of guy i just thought you'd see week in and week out over the course of the season and hopefully we see this more down the stretch for India because if they're going to beat a team like Green Bay at home they can beat some teams there in the AFC I think there's still kind of that dark horse looming on the outside last guy we'll bring up in the NFL side and then we'll jump to college is Mekhi Becton and producer Quinn here I'm going to need when I when we bring up Mike Becton or Mekhi Becton on the pod I need like something from Game of Thrones I need some music like there needs to be something heavy hitting for Mackay Becton. D- done this, and done. <laughs> this guy is an absolute monster. Six foot seven, 370 pounds, coming off the highest graded game of his NFL career, a 77.5 grade in this one, 82.5 run blocking grade, and 79.5 pass blocking grade. There is that highlight where Denzel Perriman comes up, the former Miami Hurricane who was coveted for his hard-hitting ability coming out, comes up and lays him on his ass. Kind of insane. It was insane. Absolutely insane. Defied logic in a lot of ways. But what is really defying logic is just how well Mackay Becton has played out of the I mean, we were not high on Mekhi Becton coming out, concerned about his reps in true pass sets, concerned about, you know, what he looks like in pass protection. Yes, he was big. Yes, he was this monster of size and athleticism, but it's translating right now. He looks very good. Yeah, didn't allow single pressure. Second game this season, he hasn't allowed single pressure. I just think he needed to get back healthy and 
when he is healthy, it is a close toss up there between him and Tristan Wirfs to the best OT in this class. And he had some help there because he's down blocking on Jerry Tillery and he's maybe the softest ET in the league against the run right now. So. Wow, that was low. A former Golden Dover. He's an edge Dover. rusher. I've, A former I've trans- Golden Dover just dragging him right now. I've, I've completely transitioned. If they just played him as an edge rusher, he'd be fantastic. He but. looked good against the uh, Raiders' third-string offensive tackle. When he played on the edge, he's an edge rusher. <laughs> Sam Young he's played, out of place played right well now. against Sam Young. Um, he is 21 years old, Mike. Yeah, Mikai Becton is 21 years old, six foot seven, three seventy. What does this guy eat? I want to know. You know, there's like that. I don't know if you use TikTok or not, but there's like this TikTok craze about okay. showing people what you eat all day. I'm 30. If that's I think fair. that's like a no, that's cutoff fair. age. For yeah, TikTok. you know that is a cutoff age. But there's this like theme or meme or whatever it is. Yeah. where you show people what you eat all day. I'd like to see what Mikai Becton eats in a day because this dude's a monster. Yeah. I'd also like to see what he ate in like high school. Can you imagine going to like a fast food restaurant with Mackay Becton in high school? Because I remember pigging out. You got like 20 nuggets and you just like leave like ready to throw up. Mackay Becton goes in there, orders like freaking 10 Whoppers and just like houses them. Um, I want to know what Daniel Falale eats. Yeah, that's another house. What guys eat. Because that guy is what, 20, 19 and 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. 69, 400 pounds. That's got to be... Some other. Like, we also need to know what DJ Wengalele eats because that guy's 18 years old, 250, 260. I wonder what Big Dave eats. Big Dave. <laughs> what does a Big Dave <laughs> yeah. eat? Um, all right. Uh, we're going to jump to the college, uh, college prospects now. But before we do so, let's take a quick uh, short break. <sighs> Two for One Drafts is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Moosefit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your Moosefit membership and a Moosefit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your Moosefit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. Moosefit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at Moosefit or on their website, www.moosefit.co.com.co. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. One of the biggest, you know, surprising performances from this past week, and Anthony Trash, who writes our College Football Team of the Week Takeaways article every week, highlighted JT Daniels as a legit surprise performer, one of the highest-graded players from this previous week. I know you were impressed with his game. What was your opinion of Daniels on Saturday? Yeah, so this guy, JT Daniels, he was the five-star, so it was in that 2018 recruiting, recruiting class. Trevor Lawrence, number one overall. You had Justin Fields, number two overall. You had Amon Ross St. Brown, number three overall, according to Rivals. 
And then you had JT Daniels, number four overall, in that recruiting class. Wow. At quarterback position, he was supposed to go to USC with his teammate, high school teammate, Amon Ross St. Brown. They went to the same high school. I can't imagine how nasty that high school team probably was. They were supposed to light it up. He obviously, he got injured, passed by Keevan Slovis on the death chart, transfers to Georgia. He's going to be in that competition with Jamie Newman. Gets hurt again. Uh, it was the guy, uh, Sullivan, starts over, uh, starts a few Stet- games. Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, sorry. Got Producer it. Quinn coming in hot. There we go. Bennett starts Talk about a few a games. Name. Just absolute <laughs> ass cheeks. Uh, JT Daniels then comes in this past week, six big time throws, has a legit arm. How he's in this draft class, there's almost no chance he actually ends up declaring because he hasn't played like football now for a while. First game this whole season. But it was a difference. The George offense just looked different with him under center. Another guy that can expand the field with that arm strength he had. So what, what, what do you think Jamie Newman was going to win this one if he didn't opt out? Or do you think JT Daniels would be able to supplant him I think Jamie well? Newman was. Mm-hmm. But – and to bring up Jamie Newman, he cost himself some serious money by not playing this year if he would have gone to Georgia. Like they had a roster built to put him in a favorable situation to succeed there. But, oh, well, JT Daniels is reaping benefits now. There you go. All right, another player we wanted to highlight is Jonathan Cooper. I didn't get a chance to p- turn this game on. What, what, you talk to me about Jonathan Cooper. So – the Ohio State defensive end. He was a guy who could have. Now I know why I was watching year. Indiana. I was, yeah. I was too busy paying attention to Indiana. Senior last year, got hurt, came back at the end of last year, only plays against Michigan, could have played in the playoffs, only plays against Michigan to retain his redshirt year so he could come back this year, improve his draft stock, and improve his draft stock. He has pass rushing grades of 73.6, 73.5, 82.5 in this past week against Indiana, 91.5. Powerful dude off the edge. Obviously kind of a grown man because he's a redshirt senior, but six pressures in this one. Uses his hands really well. Good against run and pass. Going to need to see more games like this from him, and I think he's a guy who I'd imagine he's going to go to the Senior Bowl and going to need to have uh, a big week there, but kind of he's ticked that box that was the reason why he didn't end up playing in that uh in the playoffs last year and came back to uh like i said retain uh to up his draft stock and he was the guy at the beginning of this year who was very upset that they weren't going to be playing football uh, and gave that speech about let us play or whatever mm-hmm. because he had to be feeling pretty salty or pretty like shitty that he you know doesn't doesn't play last year when he could have and would have came back this year and not been able to Where's number zero, too, which is big for yeah. Ohio State. That kind of negates. So that's that's sweet. That's mm-hmm. like good in my book. That's He's moving up our board for the zero. Mm-hmm. But he was moving down for spelling his name Jonathan with, with an O. An o. That's, that's not just, his fault, though. That's I mean, but you can change your name. You can go by John what? and just not have the th- a thon in there. <laughs> Stop. Uh, this is fifth year at Ohio State. It has a 90.4 overall grade so far this year, a 91.5 pass rushing grade on the season with 17 total pressures. Have to turn on some... Um, Jonathan Cooper. The other guy I've been watching at Ohio State, though, is the defensive tackle. Garrett Haskell, I think is who it is. That guy's been lightened up a little bit. I, I, he's had some a handful of interior reps where I'm starting to get a little bit excited yeah, about Ohio his. State, if you think they're ever going to have a D-line, like they just reload. Yeah, that defense continues to just churn out guys. All right, Devontae Smith, um, another really, really good game for him so far this year. Uh, if the season ended today, he'd have the highest-graded single-season receiving grade we've ever given a receiver, beating out the former Alabama receiver, Amari Cooper. Right now he has a 94.2 PFF receiving grade. A big part of that is volume. Jalen Waddle getting hurt. They're trying to feed this guy the football. What, how many targets he have this past week? Like 20 if you include plays nullified by penalty. Like he was constantly fed in this offense. He runs a very diverse route tree, vertical, underneath stuff, all that stuff. They like to get him after the catch. I, I think Devontae Smith, 
the more I think about his NFL projection, he's not this rare breed of wide receiver, but the consistency is just something I'm going to buy into. And what he can do from a versatility perspective is enough for me to consider him in the first 32 picks, if not top of the second round. How high are you drafting him? I don't know if I'm drafting. So I don't know if I'm drafting him inside the top 20 is the thing. Oh. I don't know if I'm drafting Devontae Smith inside the top 20. And that sounds rude. And I get that. I thought he was your boy. He is my boy. But the more you watch him, the more you kind of understand the concerns people have with his body type and all this stuff. But I think the production, the consistency is there. Yeah. I don't know if I take him inside the top 20. I think I'm going to chase the high end that is a DK Metcalf, that is an AJ Brown. These guys that have freakish tools that if they do develop beyond what their original projection is, they can be insane. With Devontae Smith, I feel like I can already smell his ceiling. I can smell it. I can see it. And I like it. But I also want to see something bigger. I want to see something better. Okay. Well, the next guy on our list here, Rondale Moore. We saw him for the first time. He got 20 targets, actually. Caught 15. Now mm-hmm. they're all like screens underneath stuff. But which one are you taking first? That one is tough because Rondell Moore, you haven't seen a ton of it. And even this past week, tackled on first contact a ton, in my opinion. It still looked very elusive, dynamic with the football. Didn't finish this game with a single force missed tackle after catch, even though he had a really buttery move, a nice cut on, I think, what was a hitch route on the outside. Mm -hmm. But that guy didn't even get close enough to really get that tackle, whatever it may be. But I do think, I don't know if I take Rondell Moore ahead of Devontae Smith. I don't know. It's tough because the injuries are a concern. The size is a concern. But if he is this freakish athlete that we think he is, the dynamism might take over. Rondell Moore's average depth of reception was behind the line of scrimmage. Yes. Dude, they give him pop passes. They give him <laughs> screens. They give him all that stuff. He was not running a vertical route tree at all. Yeah, and I still don't unfortunate. think. Like you'd like to see him. Yeah, you do would. That. Absolutely you would. Where would you take Rondell Moore? Oh, man, that one's tough. Because I'm a big fan of his game, but you really haven't seen a ton of them do real wide receiver stuff. No. So I'd be hard-pressed to take him before pick, like, 25 at this point. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair take, though. I mean, you, yeah. you and he's going to go to the combine, and if he does indeed, as expected, light it on fire – you have there's going to be more opportunities to potentially think about him as a top 20 top 15 type of player mm-hmm. but if he has a misstep there similar to what like rager had a misstep at the combine everyone thought he was going to be competing with rugs for the fastest player there doesn't turn in a decent uh, a, a 40 that we expected the change of direction drills weren't as good i think ronald moore has to legitimately blow up the combine similar to what yeah. dk metcalf did also he has the rest of the season like he has a handful more games to show us some more mm-hmm. so all right, let's talk uh, Zayvon Collins. Tulsa linebacker has the walk-off pick six. Uh, who was it against? Tulane, I think it was yeah. they, they played. Was that Thursday, Friday? I'm not sure when they played. But that game, so I saw the pick six. It's incredible. Zayvon Collins is a monster. Turn back, turn back on the tape to watch him play. The takeaway I had is that Zayvon Collins is the biggest, fastest, monstrous player on the football field, and he wins like that. Like I, You rarely see him winning with instincts out of the gate. I think he's late to a handful of things, and that gets him caught up in traffic more than it does other more instinctive linebackers. But he's, he can't be blocked. He, he's very yeah. difficult to get blocked. He, he does not lose at the second level when, when, um, when hit. But I do think the lateness is a bit of a concern, and the level of competition is a bit of a concern. You don't find tools at linebacker like that a ton, but I'd still like to see him win with more than just being a monster than what I saw this past week. Yeah, and the thing is, you're trying to just think of guys that size in recent memory at the linebacker position. Now, I'm sure in like the 80s or 90s, there were guys that looked like that to play linebacker. But like Dante Hightower's 260, he doesn't look like Zayvon Collins. Like Zayvon Collins probably has like some a few inches on his arms over him and is like a few inches taller as well. Mm-hmm. He just looks, he looks like an edge rusher off the ball linebacker. Like that's what he looks like. That's what he's built like. And so 
it's just I'm trying to just like envision what he's going to be like at the next level. And he's just one of those guys where I, I think you're going to have to have a specific role for him that involves you know, having him blitz like 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 a, almost like a Dante Hightower role. Like I don't think he's going to be or uh, he's not going to be a Bobby Wagner. He's not going to be a Luke Keekley And that is just like plug and play between the tackles linebacker. I don't care what scheme you're running. He's going to just be productive. I think there's going to have to be a role for him. But I also think like his tools in a role like that. I could see him going in the first round. Really? Guy. Yeah. I, oh, like, wow. There he's that freaky of a specimen at the linebacker position. Teams chase that. Hi. Yeah. I mean, every, I mean, it's all the rage right now. Is that the expression? I always think it's all the rage or all the rave. Some people say all the rave. Rage. Rage. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I thought. All the rave? That makes no sense. Who are you hanging out with? No, nah, I don't want, I can't tell you, actually. <laughs> um, Smoke Monday, Auburn cornerback, is, is honestly the best name in college football. Smoke, Smoke Monday is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, if we're WAP Fillior doesn't count because WAP is a nickname. I think Smoke is his actual name, which I didn't realize it was a nickname that he got because he loved Whoppers growing yeah. up. Which, a little surfacey, but I'm fine with it. Honestly, like, I'm fine with it. Absurd. <laughs> um, but Smoke Monday this past week earned a really high grade, and, and the biggest thing was for that had to pick six in the end zone. They took 100 yards back to that to the house. Mm-hmm. It was playing cover one. Uh, originally, kind of jumps down on the slant that's Red being run ice. from the slot. Slides over to the you know um, the route in the end zone and then just takes it to the crib. Um, gonna always earn high grades for that. Really impressive um, from Smoke Money. Had some good speed too. I, I like his range. I like his length too. I thought he was built pretty well. Um, plays plays a handful of different positions in Auburn's defense too. Where you see or where what's your opinion on Monday and where are you projecting him in the NFL like position wise? I have not watched any of Smoke Monday. It's Monday. <laughs> you have to start watching Smoke Monday every Monday. It's tradition. <laughs> I, I love the name, though. Yeah. And I did watch his pick six this past. I did see the pick six. <laughs> you did see the pick six. All right, last name we'll bring up uh, in the Raise the Glass segment here for the College Prospects is Ali McNeil, NC State. Guy he reminds me of is uh, Malcolm Brown of Texas, who's now in the NFL. Just a squatty, squatty 320-pounder, 6'2", 320, and just dominates in one-on-one situations, specifically against the run. And I know they were going against Liberty this past week, so you're kind of expecting dominance from NC State. But this guy, he was going against number 65, the center for Liberty, and any one-on-one situation, whether it was run or pass, was just shitting on him. It was, it was absurd. Like, one of those one-on-one situations. But there were a handful of times where I think he's getting out of his stance a little too quickly. He gets beat off the block on a couple double teams and stuff. But, man, like, his quickness off the snap, his dominance in one-on-one, controlling the line of scrimmage. Like, oh, man, it, it, it's really, really, really good tape for him. It's going to be a banner tape for Lee McNeil. Um, but um, you got to give the caveat that's against Liberty. Yeah, I gave the caveat that's against Liberty. Yeah, be like, it's very good tape against Liberty. I, I, to me, he's still going to be kind of, like, fall into that tools prospect sort mm-hmm. of bucket where, like, he's got the get-off. He's got the size, 320 pounds. Um to me, he's like a better version of Neville Gallimore coming out. Gallimore was that guy, but Neville Gallimore was also like a fifth-year senior uh, and should have sort of developed more than that at that point. Like, you can forgive Olin McNeil. He's a true junior right now uh, to not be the most complete sort of technically sound defensive tackle. But I, I am a big fan of his game, and I do think, like, the fact that he dominated Liberty – you want to see that. You want to see the yeah. guys go up against those trash schools and look the way he looked. So, yes. It's unfortunate the that box. there's two situations. You dominate against Liberty and everyone says, well, it was Liberty. And if you don't show up against Liberty, it's like, oh, can't believe you didn't show up at Liberty. You better have yeah. done it. It's, 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 it's bad. It's that bad. was like so that was like Chris Jones coming out. I remember some of his lowest graded game his last year at Mississippi State was against uh, the FCS school that played that year. And wow. I was like, what the hell? Like he's, he was. That's why he got that kind of uh, – 
the reputation for being, you know, takes plays off guy. Mm-hmm. Now, hasn't been the case in the NFL because, you know, money can be a big motivator, but or like guys can be motivated by a lot of different things. And so we'll see with Liam McNeil. All right, blackout segment. Let's finish the podcast, I guess, on a sour note here. You take it away for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, Jake Luton. I said it last week on the Wednesday pod. I said, Jake Luton against Steelers defense is a recipe for a blackout. That's like uh, going to a bar with like uh, dollar shots of fireball. Mm-hmm. 10 for 10 here in Cincinnati yeah. is, is, is a recipe for a blackout. If you're That's unfamiliar it, with the 10 for 10 deal in Cincinnati, Mike Renner has invited me a handful of times pre-COVID. You get eight. Miller lights and two shots of fireball for ten dollars. I never survived. You've done like two though. Like you're a monster. I've never survived. But and it's one of the things. Just like that was gonna be. He was gonna black out. Like unless you had the most self control of any man in the country. No, it's like that was a recipe for disaster. Twenty seven point one pass grade. Scored three points. It was four picks in that game too. I I remember I heard a commentator saying Steelers defense really showed up. I was like, ah, I think Luton might have just showed up. It was not a good showing for him. Uh, This past week, Dylan Moses is on the blackouts here. A forty two point five PFF grade for Alabama. I thought he was late on a lot of things, and when he he was getting blocked at the second level, unlike. What Zayvon Collins was doing, just blowing up guards at the second level. He was getting blocked at the second level, had a missed tackle in this game as well. Uh, not his best showing, especially for a guy where there isn't a ton of tape on Dylan Moses. Dude, it's a, it's time to get worried about it. A little worried. Yeah, because like... Right now, he's like this like... Um, you forgive a guy who's a sophomore for not being having a not playing fast or having a great handle on Alabama's defense. You don't forget a guy, forgive a guy who's a redshirt junior now mm-hmm. for still looking like that. And he's actually even graded out. He's a 48.9 overall grade on the season now. That's way lower than he he's had not. He's not been productive. And we it's the same concerns every week too. With Dylan Moses, you turn on the tape, it's not speed or athleticism. He's got the tools. We get it. Tackle. I mean, he's been doing 500 pushups a day since he was six. Yeah. But late to things. And when you're late to things, I wanted to bring this up too on the podcast. The three lowest graded players this past week Jordan Brooks, Patrick Queen, and Willie Gay Jr. Rookie linebackers are getting absolutely torched in today's NFL for some of the same reasons you're seeing with Dylan Moses. This late, it's it's, it's hard. Yeah. I, it's very, I don't think it's, it's ever been more difficult to play linebacker in the NFL. Teams throw so much over the middle of the field, and they'll throw so much at you with crossers and motion and all that stuff that you have to be uh, on it. Like you can't just be like you have to one have athleticism, but you also have to have brilliant. Be you able have to, to be brilliant. see the game. Yeah. At a fast, you know, at, at, you have to be able to process stuff quickly and react and get to where you're supposed to be in a blink of an eye that that's so much, so important to success of that position nowadays that I am officially very worried about a guy like Dylan Moses, who has yet to break up a pass in his college career, by the way. Yes. He has a couple picks, but hasn't had a single pass breakup in his college career. Should have dropped a couple. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now he would. All right. That's going to do it for the Monday episode of Two for One Drafts. Uh, absolutely crush that, Mike. You absolutely crush it, you as you always it. do. Make sure you rate, view, like, subscribe, everything you can do to a podcast physically. Please try and do that for us. Keep food on the table for us. Uh, until Wednesday, man. I'm excited. I got some green line picks this week. We didn't talk about it, but you know, I guess I did at the beginning. Indiana plus 21. You're welcome. Feed your families with that extra cash you have in the pocket. I dropped next month's rent on top. So I, I told my brother, he lives in Illinois and Chicago. I was like, bet Wisconsin minus seven, Indiana plus 21. And he comes back to me. He's like, oh, I'm actually in like in Illinois. They don't let you bet on teams in Illinois. So he couldn't bet Wisconsin. So I technically gave him the only right bet this week. That's perfect. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah, I had Indiana plus 21 as well. But on the Wednesday episode, we preview the slate. Uh, we're also going to look at some green line picks. Should be a ton of fun on that one. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1. Thanks.